This is Random Discourse, the podcast. And I got Brian. Brian. Brian hasn't been around for a little bit, you know, scheduling conflicts and whatnot. But Brian, it's good to have you back. Yes, sir. Oh, that's a mean uh, goatee, Brian, in sport. And I just noticed oh, yeah. that. <laughs> I'm working on it. Mean <laughs> goatee. Um, anybody that's tuning in, um, you should know by now. This is our what college football discussion. What we're week 14 now, fellas, and. Um, basically at the end of the season where we have championship weekend and then we're at the playoffs outside of say what um random bowl here random bowl there random bowl yeah and and then the uh armed forces game but you know army navy oh by the way have you seen those helmets brian that navy's gonna be wearing those are slick i'm jealous man i'm mad we didn't have that have you seen them anton no, I haven't seen those yet. Man, they oh. got hand painted helmets, and every and every skill position, like every position, is gonna have their own uh, ship on their helmet. Yep. So they're, it's they're really nice, man. Really, really nice. They're they're nicer than any of those Orion helmets or any of the Nike helmets that have been put out. Those are probably Ooh. some of, some of the those best helmets. Best? Yeah, that's a, that's a big statement right there. And we're about to get number 14 in a row against the rival, man. So it's a good deal. Come on, man. That's like picking on your little brother, Navy playing Army and football, man. Army hasn't hey. been good since like the 1940s. You know, I was a, I was a freshman. I didn't play that game. I was on the sideline dressed out when the last time Army won. So I like to say I had something to do with starting the streak in okay. 2002. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, man, that was – that's horrible, man. Army, what, what's going on with Army? Is it just that they can't get the, the same type of talent to go there that Navy can? You know what, real quickly, because I, I, I know people might not care, but honestly, it's because they keep trying to run offenses that aren't suited to the size of the players that we can get at the academies because we still have to meet all the military regulations for size and uh, like all of uh, the PFT tests and everything. Mm-hmm. So we can't have 350-pound linemen. All our linemen have to run like a 10-and-a-half-minute mile or 10-and-a-half-minute mile-and-a-half and do all the physical tests. So the, the best offense to run is what Air Force and Ar- Navy run, which is a version of the option. Army's been trying to run different spread sets and stuff. That's not going to work. So they finally now have a coach in there that's going to run the option. So they'll get they'll get better. They'll, they'll, they'll be competitive within the next couple of years. Definitely. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that uh, either the option or a uh, – run and shoot offense where everybody you just spread everybody out and you just get that ball out of the hands quick and you have the, yeah. the linemen that get, can get down the field and are mobile but yeah. uh all right man so i guess we can get right into it um so i wanted to start off talking about the changing atmosphere with um college football coaching man because yeah as it's been brought up recently with what everything that went on with Les Miles and LSU that, you know, things have changed. If you can tell they started changing within um, the BCS era, but prior to the BCS era, coaches really didn't leave schools or have such a short leash um, 
to or in a short timeline to produce. It's like you have people like you had people like Joe Paterno and others that were at their school respective schools for forever. And now it seems like if you're not winning within the next four or five, four or five seasons are depending on even the school you go to within the, the first three seasons, then you're out of there. And I, I, I would like to blame that on uh, Nick Saban and what he's done at Alabama, just the consistency and everything. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if y'all agree with me. Well, uh, let me just chime in here. I think you have, you're on to something when it comes to uh, the SEC, because I don't think we're seeing that being a wide reach across conferences but you are seeing it in the SEC because Les Miles has been at LSU for 11 years. Uh, you have another coach that's been there seven, but everyone else has been in four years or less. So if you can't come in and beat Alabama and have a signature win, you're going to be out of there. Like the, the Mark Ricks that get 15 years with no national championship or at least an SEC championship. I think those days are over where you're going to have the Bobby Bowden, the, the, uh, uh, Patinos, where they just they just camp out there for thirty plus years and they build a statue for you. Uh, you know, even in the Big Ten, this was a huge year for Kurt Ferentz, who's the longest tenured coach in the Big Ten. Where this eleven years, you know, eleven and 0 season, twelve and 0 season, he was going to be gone. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a growing trend that the tenures are going to be much more like the NFL. And so maybe you're going to start seeing a lot of these college coaches that didn't want to go to the NFL because of the short leash. They might start leaving. Yeah, I mean, uh, you make a great you make a great point. And I think it, it, it actually angers me because, I, you know, we, we all grew up watching 90s and, and early 2000s football where those coaches did get a chance to establish their program. I always thought that you needed four years to really kind of get your system established, get your recruits in there. And then you can start talking about winning conference championships. But you're right. Nowadays, it's like by year two, people are like, hey, what's going on? Why aren't we in the Sugar Bowl? Why aren't we in the playoff? And it's to me, I think too many schools have forgotten what success is. It used to be a time that success was like mild success was get six wins, get to a bowl game. So the fans have somewhere to travel. A really good season was like nine wins. And then once every four or five years, you got that special year where you go 11 and 0 or, or 11 and 1 and you get into a big bowl and then you reset and then you get the coach gets another four or five years now. I mean, you have one or two six and six seasons. They're they're talking about moving on. Les Miles has won seventy eight percent of the games since he's gotten there. Played for two national championships, won one national championship, and he's almost out the door. It's asinine to me the way they treat these guys. It is, but I mean, think about it. Um, a lot has to do with the amount of coverage and focus that has started to come with recruiting as well. Be when these coaches were able to reset and go through these cycles, we weren't putting you weren't having national signing day be televised. You weren't having these kids be able to hold press conferences to say, oh, I'm I'm going to the University of Florida. I'm going to the University of Alabama. I'm going to Michigan, Ohio State, so forth. And with that added exposure, it, it it's increased. I, 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 I want to say the. The non-intelligent fan, I don't want to call them ignorant or stupid, yeah. but the non-intelligent fan, that the, the lesser informed fan, that they think, oh, when these kids get there, they should be starting right away. These kids are ready-made talent, and a lot they're looking at it as like basketball, how basketball these kids are one and done, and that's 
same type of thinking is starting to flow over into the college football game with, when it's a totally different beast. Yeah, well, you know, it used to be you needed two years of weight training to really be. Oh, an effective D1. Yeah, you needed two years of effective weight training to be an effective D1 player. Nowadays, you they see a Leonard Fournette. It's kind of like how in the NFL where Adrian Peterson tears the ACL and people expect you to come back the next year right, right. <laughs> and be dominant. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like not thinking about statistically, he's just a freak of nature. And you're not going to have Leonard Fournette. You're not going to have you know, freshmen that are going to be in there and be able to really just be a man around these seniors that have had the the weight training, the 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 consistent lifting that you don't get in high school. You know, there's a lot to it, but it's unfortunate. But the less the unsophisticated fan will won't see that. And one more thing on this, like even not even talking about coaching and fire, just the criticism of coaches. And I think we've we've already kind of touched on this, the exposure of the sport, the money that's in the sport. Every fan feels like they have a right, including me. I criticize them every Saturday. But I, I, I found it so shocking two weeks ago when Ohio State lost to Michigan State, the amount of the amount of uh, of criticism Urban Meyer faced for that football game. He has come into that program, a program that was headed in the wrong direction after Tress with all suspensions. He went 12 and 0, 12 and 2, and then 14 and 1 and won that championship. And then he loses one game against Michigan State. And then the whole city of Columbus, the whole state of Ohio just started talking about how bad it was of a game plan, how terrible of a coach he was. And it's almost like they forget the past three years and what he's done for that program. It's like you're only as good as your last game in this day and time in college football. And it's a shame. It's a shame. It, you know, it's that old adage. It's like what they it, they used to it used to be said often, and it's still said often in, in the NFL. I said used to not used to be said, but it's what have you done for me lately? Mm-hmm. And that's what's going on with with college football right now. And I mean, the, the the playoffs have done that because now there's only four spots that everybody is fighting for, and everybody wants to get in those four spots. And if you're at one of these in one of these Power Five conferences, that's what you're being graded off of. How quickly can you get me into one of these four spots, and how consistently can we fight to be and to stay in in one of these four spots? Yep. Um, have Have y'all noticed uh, with the coaching hires that have been going on in college football that a lot of the well, I shouldn't even say a lot of them. Every coaching hire has. They've gone back to the alma maters. Mark Rick went back to just got uh, hired by Miami, mm-hmm. which I think is very big for that University of Miami yeah. program because they've had a lot of turmoil and whatever you want to call it. They just haven't been able to find the right fit for their university. And I think this is huge for them to be able to pick pick him up. And I mean, uh, what you got Kirby Smart going to Georgia and who else? I'm missing somebody. I know. Uh, so who went to Maryland? Um, DJ Durkin. Yeah, DJ Durkin. He, he's actually played at Maryland. So I, I think it's, it's going to be big. And I think in a couple of years, um, you'll see you'll see that pay off for those programs because DJ Durkin, Kirby Smart, Mark Rick, those guys, they're excellent recruiters. And that recruiting is them, be, them going there will be able to uh, bring – and parody to college football and try to break up some of that talent that's being amassed at just the major schools. 
Yeah, I, th- I think all those hires are really good. I'm I'm really excited to see what what uh what Mark Reed does in Miami because if for nothing else he's consistent. I mean, he averaged ten wins a season at Georgia. It's it's still amazing this guy got got let go, but he averaged ten wins a season. So if you're doing that at Miami in this day and time after what they've seen the past decade, I think the Miami fans will be pretty happy. But you know what? They'll only be happy for a couple of years before they start complaining and saying they deserve a championship. And, and you're you're exactly right. You know, I was most <laughs> happy for Mark Rick of the of the three. Uh, because, you know, who else really wanted that job? You know, you got a, <laughs> a, you know, bad administration, you have bad facilities, and you have a non-existent fan base, and, you know, as far as where they have to play the games. So he's actually going to have a breath of fresh air not having that dog pound in Georgia that's always on him that he needs to be fired after every game. You know, the man yeah. had a first, like, you know, a, a transfer first year in this program. He, he uh, one of the best backs in the nation, gets hurt by, you know, a couple games into the season, and he still goes out, and, and they were they were reputable. You know, they had some slip-ups, but you can't yeah. even have a year where you lose your best player and not get fired. Yep. <laughs> well, I mean, they've been trying to fire Mark Rick for for a couple of years now, man, and they just finally build up the gall because Mark Rick. I mean, if you hear stories about Mark Rick and read about him, and you know, listen to some of the other talking heads, they have and nobody has anything bad to say about Mark Rick, and I think it's one of those things where it's like, hey. He's he's a good guy. He runs a clean program. We haven't had anything, you know, no major violations outside of you know the minor stuff with Ty Gurley and things like that. But it, it's that's nothing big. And so you you really are weighing are weighing the pros and the cons with, with uh, things like that. Fire, especially firing good head coaches, man. But Miami is uh my but just one last thing, Mark Rick. Is going he like you said, Brian? He's going to and Anton. He's going to love it in Miami because Miami has so much other stuff that's going to take the pressure off of him and allow him give him at least three to four seasons to be able to get that program back back to where it needs to be because that's a fertile talent, uh, fertile area for talent down there. Yep. All right. So championship week. Let's let's uh we got what five four five championship uh, games on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got the AAC, the ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, and the SEC. I guess we could go ahead and start with um, the SEC. Let's just get that out of the way. Please. All, <laughs> all three of us, we're, we're, we're Florida fans. Anton, you and I, we're Florida alum. And Brian, I don't know how you ended up not going to the University of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> But it's going to be a uh, sad, sad, sad time for a Florida fan going up against Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I think what's going to happen is you'll see the same thing that happened against Florida State. The defense will keep us in there for the first three quarters, but at the end they're going to tire out because the offense is going to be able to put any points on the board unless we get lucky. I think that the one thing that I will, I am interested to see. I mean, if I'm picking this game neutrally and not as a Gator fan, I, I have to like Alabama. But if I look back at Alabama's season, they haven't been as dominant as they always seem. And, and what I mean is, they were at home against Tennessee, and it took them a last minute touch. And I think they scored with about three minutes left in order to hold on and win that game, 19 to 14. 
at that Auburn game last week, Auburn, we know they're having an under underachieving season. And that game was 22 to 13 until the last play of the game where Derrick Henry got a touchdown. They lost to Ole Miss. So my point is this Alabama team is a very good team. They deserve to be in the top four. But I don't think they're a team that can just step out on the field and roll over people. And you said the Florida defense will keep a minute. What I'm interested interested to see is does Jim McElwain finally let Trayon Harris loose? And what I mean is there is no depth behind him ever since Wilger got suspended. Their backup, I believe, is a, tra- a third-string transfer from Vanderbilt. So he's had to protect Treon and keep him healthy. I wonder if this game is a game he finally says, you know what, let's just go ahead and run everything I want to run. Let's run quarterback draws. Let's run quarterback boot. Let's run sprint out. Let's get him out of the pocket every play because we and run a little bit of hurry up, as a matter of fact. And I, that's what gives Alabama problems. If, if McElwain can find a little magic, call some good ball plays, and get Treon using his legs, which is what he's the best at, I wouldn't be surprised if, if if Florida actually has more offense in this game than they've had the past three weeks. You know, I think those are some great points that you made there, Brian. But this Alabama-Florida, you know, it's kind of like hopefully this will be a mark of the Florida program going back because the 2009 SEC championship where Alabama just absolutely dominated uh, Tebow's offense and, and pretty much – sent Florida's uh, program into the dark ages in a sense. Yep. So if we can go out there and make this a game, maybe the Florida program can start to progress and say, Hey, you know, we've gotten out of those dark ages. We're going to be, we're going back to national prominence, but it goes back to last year, uh, Thanksgiving weekend, Florida, Alabama, the defense did something similar. They kept us in the game. But in the second half, Derrick Henry went for 111 in two scores. It's one of those things that the defense will not be able to hold up. Derrick Henry is such a downhill runner that in the third and fourth quarters, it's not going to be a question that Alabama is going to have control of this game. If Treyon can get out of the pocket, he needs to have a, a three-step drops, you know, one look, go. If not, mm-hmm. this is going to be a long day in Gainesville. I mean, I would love to see Jim McElwain take a page out of Gus Malzahn's uh, handbook on how to handle Alabama with an athletic quarterback that can throw yeah. decently and just just keep the tempo on them and run, keep Kelvin Taylor, Jordan Con- Cronkite, and whoever else running downhill because th- running downhill and those screens and having them – spreading them out wide – with the athletes that we have, and they're running right through the middle of that defense, even though people say that's not the smartest thing to do, actually is because when you tire out that Alabama defensive line, because those boys are made are sitting there to be stout. They're not there to be pass rushers, get up the field, do anything like that. They're just there to be to to to, to clog up everything. And so, you know, that that's what I would like to see. And give the defense a chance, man. Give them, give them a chance. Don't Trayon has to be able to to do something because from what I've seen, and I I I was on Twitter and so and, and somebody tweeted it out, and I sent it to Anton, I think, where Trayon Harris is basically all right. I get my three step drop or my five step drop, three to five step drop. What they were doing and. Oh, I don't see anybody. I don't see anybody. I don't see anybody. Let me roll to the the open side of the field and throw the ball away. 
That's not going to throw it away. It gets me so mad. <laughs> like, throw, the, you, throw the ball down for you. You got Callaway, you got Powell, you got Demarcus Robinson if he plays. Throw the ball down there. Let them kids make a play. You know, I, I'm, I'm 100% with you. They, he has to get the ball out of his hands. But just to touch on Alabama, because I feel like we're doing a lot of Gator stuff, Alabama deserves to be in this game. They had that slip up against Ole Miss. And since then, that team has found their identity. They've stopped trying to throw the ball 45 times a game. They've given the ball to Derrick Henry. They've been running downhill. They've been running power. The defensive front seven has been pretty elite with the exception of one or two games since that Ole Miss game. I mean, Alabama, to me, is the cream of the crop right there along with Clemson, right there along Oklahoma. So they deserve to be here. It's just one of those things. Does Jake Coker scare anybody? If it comes to be third and third and nine, if Florida gets to Alabama in third and seven or more, that's when you, you see the Gators, they put up that money sign. And they start, hey, if, if, if they can make if they can stop Derrick Henry once or twice on first down and second down, maybe every other series, I'm telling you, Alabama's going to be in trouble. But yeah, I mean, if, if, if go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was just thinking there's a pick six ready to happen. Yeah, man. Coker is not uh, he's not he does not scare anybody in that Florida secondary. So I'm really excited to see Coker and ha- how much has he progressed since the last time he faced a defense that is this good because Auburn's defense in this good. I wouldn't even say LSU's defense is as good. This would be the best defense that Coker's played all season. I mean, hands down, this is going to be the best defense he's played all season. It's a top five defense. Alabama is ranked number two in, in overall total defense, and Florida's ranked number five. Even after that debacle at, against Florida State, they're still ranked number five in the nation. So, and Jake Coker, one thing I will give Jake Coker is he may not scare anybody, but one thing he has done for that Alabama offense is make plays when they've needed when they've needed it. And so, and that's the difference between Alabama being twelve. Are eleven and one right now? Twelve and are eleven and one? Yes, and Florida being ten and two because yeah. Trayon Harris hasn't been able to make the plays that Florida's needed when when their defense is tired, has been on the field to keep a drive going. And and of course, we we can't talk about Florida Alabama without talking about special teams because Florida special teams is an absolute mess. Actually, I won't say special team. The punt return and punt cover teams are good. That the, field the, the situation can't, can't, it, it is. It's, it's embarrassing to have a D1 program be in that state. I don't know if it's a Will Muschamp's to blame or if it's the confidence in the kickers or what. That's, that's that a ha- that has to be fixed. Thing. Yeah, that's got to be fixed. For this long. Yeah. You know, yes, it's been, I, it's, yeah, it's, it's been, been years. It, it, was, it was a problem under Urban Meyer. No, Urban Meyer special teams are always stout. No, always. The field goal kicking? Yeah, Caleb Sturgis finally came around towards the end of Urban Meyer's career, uh, in the Urban Meyer's term. But at, from there, at, from there, it, it, Florida's always had a problem. Florida is right now a one, uh, a, uh, a one trick pony. Yeah, they're a one phase. Te- no, they're a one phase team, and that phase is defense. They they don't win mm-hmm. in special teams, and they don't win on the offensive side of the ball. And you, and uh, it's a wonder how they have ten wins right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so Anton, you wanted to give the AAC some love, man. Well, actually, I think that this conference was one of the more compelling conferences this year when you had Memphis, Houston, and Temple all having the best, you know, seasons in program history. Uh, you have probably, you know, arguably the number one quarterback prospect in Peter Lynch uh, playing for Memphis. And Memphis knows how to, like, play – football man they play a very tough style of defense they've produced a lot of nfl talent in the last five years they're really coming about and we'll never talk about the aac like this again you're gonna have coaches I, moving I, on i beg to differ 
I beg to differ. We will talk about the AAC like this because Tom um, Herman will be there. Tom Herman will be there, and as long as Tom Herman is there, I think Tom the, Tom Herman is there. Houston is going to be in it, and with uh, Temple Al for uh, the as much flat that Al Golden got at. Miami, he deserves all the credit for where Temple is right now. Not this season per se, but he deserves the credit for building up that Temple program to the to to being a ranked nationally ranked program and paying and playing for and consistently for an AAC title. Like Temple in Houston is a, a, a contrast of styles to me. You have Houston who who likes to spread you out, and you have Temple that wants to to old school it defense and run the ball. And the the one the one one person and the one person I'm looking at or just out, out of everybody, well, two people I should say is Greg Ward Jr. to see because he makes that Houston offense go. And with Temple is uh Tyler Matikich. Uh, He's number five uh all time in total tackles in, in since two thousand. I think that's since they started actually tracking total tackles in NCAA. It is. I could be wrong, but I know since 2000, he's number five and he has a chance to end up at number two if he averages about 18 and a half tackles a game, which I don't think is out of the realm. Yeah, I mean, I'm completely I'm I'm completely proud of this conference, especially, you know, being being a Navy guy. And, you know, I know you talked about Memphis, Anton, but let's not sleep on the team to beat Memphis by 24 points a few weeks ago. So, you know. (laughs) Right, um, but no, I mean, I think I think that conference. I think I agree. This conference is is a. It's been a great year for them. And in this game, I think it's really fascinating because you have one of the best like uh, defensive coaches with Matt Rule mm-hmm. at Temple, and you got one of the best offensive head coaches and young minds and Tom Herman. And to me, it's who wins out. And 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 I think you mentioned the quarterback from Houston. He really does make that team go. I mean, his ability to get outside the pocket. It was a, a miserable three hours for me watching Navy play them because there were so many times they had him bottled up in the backfield for a sack or bottled up for like a one or two yard gain. And he found a way to break that first tackle and get the ball downfield or go for a nine or 10 yard run. Um, that, that, that team is a really good team. And I think they can, they, both of those teams can hang with anybody Houston because of their offense and, and Temple because of their defense. And let's not forget Temple went, it went and beat Penn state and, uh, Houston went and beat Louisville. I mean, they have beaten major Power Five teams that have that have been in the mix in their conferences. So, a lot of lot of lot of respect and a lot of love goes to the AC this year. It's definitely well deserved. It, it is, and I'm I'm just fascinated to see who they end up who that conference champion ends up playing in their uh, in their New Year's Day Bowl because they have a guaranteed spot in the New Year's Day Bowl, which is good for them. And I think they should pretty soon. They'll probably get a spot. That if they continue to have this type of success, they should earn a spot, an automatic berth into, say, the playoffs, or at least become a power, go from power five to power six conferences. Yeah. Uh, so we might as well go from the AAC and go to the ACC. Um, Clemson, North Carolina, man. Clemson, uh, the, the, the last the Clemson hasn't played, doesn't play North Carolina as often as, you know, I think they should, especially with them being um, state cross state rivals or whatever border rivals or whatever you want to call it. Clemson is one of the last four meetings. Uh, well, one four of the last five meetings against North Carolina by an average of 22 points. And I think the last time they played was in 13 or 14, I believe. And it was no different that Clemson dominated them. Now, Clemson goes this 
Deshaun Watson go? I, yep. I do, I, I'm not sure if anybody disagrees with me on that, but I'm not sure if if you realize that Deshaun Watson is he accounts for what was it 66 percent of the Clemson's total yards of that on their that their offense has produced 66 percent that's a high number of of that's a high percentage of somebody to be contributing to your offense man I'm not sure if you if, if I'm wrong with that Brian but uh what do you think no I, I agree I think he's a, he's a dynamic player I actually before the season, I thought he had a shot at the Heisman. I think I had him maybe in my top 10. And it looks like he might get an invite to New York. He'll definitely be a favorite coming back next year because he's only a sophomore. But, I mean, he can do it with his legs. He can do it with his arm. He's been very comfortable in that offense that they're running at Clemson. Uh, he get definitely is good at getting out of the pocket when he needs to. But I've seen him sit back there and make the throws that are necessary uh, to have his team in the position they're in. The one thing that I wonder about him is when the pressure's on, how does he play? Because if you recall against Notre Dame, they jumped out to that big lead. They were front running. And then when Notre Dame started to make that comeback, Clemson got tight and they stopped playing as effectively as they had in the first three quarters. And now you're going against a Gene Chizik defense. And it, it was only five years ago that Gene Chizik was the head coach of Auburn who went up against a, a an offense that's somewhat similar in spread principles to Clemson when they played Oregon. And they held Oregon to 20 points. I don't know if Oregon's been held to 20 points since that 2010 championship game. So Gene Chizik has the, the mind to be able to stop a multiple team like that, a spread team. And he has that championship experience. I'm, I know everybody's been talking about the offenses in both these games. I'm really interested in the defenses, especially Gene Chizik and the scheme that he has set up to go against Deshaun Watson and those weapons that Clemson has. Yeah. No, uh, like, well, we've talked a lot about Deshaun Watson. Uh, and, of course, he's going to be um, in New York if everything pans out. But the dark horse, who I think may be the best quarterback on the field, is Marquise Williams. He has done a phenomenal job at having such a high completion percentage. And he is a, a very – he's a very high percentage of that offense as well. Mm-hmm. And although Clemson is a very good on the defensive line, I, I wonder how defensive, uh, that defensive line is going to get after him. But if he can handle that well – Clemson's secondary is very susceptible to some big plays, and that's all that they've done is throw the ball 20 yards or more at at UNC. So I think Clemson's defensive line is going to be the determining factor whether Clemson gets upset this weekend because, to me, I would look after the first quarter to see if that offensive line can establish itself. Then we got a ball game. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, uh, you said the Clemson secondary. The only person in Clemson secondary that can play is Mackenzie Alexander. He's one of the top cornerbacks in the nation. That That's undisputable. Um, and he's just a sophomore as well. And you, ha- Shaq Lawson is going to have to show up for that Clemson defense line. He's going to have to be the major dis- disruptor in order to get that UNC offense off track. But you, you mentioned Marquise Williams. Marquise Williams has an excellent um, – backfield mate in Elijah Hood who has really come on strong towards the end of the season and that's something Deshaun Watson does not have like he has Wally Gallman and and um I can't remember the other guy's name but he's he's injured right now but they're they're running it their rushing attack hasn't been as strong as it's been in the past couple of seasons under Dabo Sweeney so that's going to be interesting to see and I do agree with you Brian that I, I do believe Gene Chizik is going to have that UNC defense ready to play. And I wouldn't be surprised if UNC pulls the upset. My question to, that I pose to both of you before we move on is, 
if North Carolina beats Clemson, do they get in the playoffs? I think it would all matter in that in that scenario. It all matters what Stanford does, and we'll get to that game later. But to me, if Stanford wins the Pac-12 and beats USC, I think based on the position they're at right now in the ranking, Stanford would go over UNC in my opinion. Um, I'm not as optimistic because I, because of the strength of schedule, uh, playing two FBS teams, uh, I think UNC would be held out and Urban will be rewarded. You know, <laughs> I hate, I hate to, I hate to say that if Michigan State beats Iowa, uh, Urban will be rewarded because the way that they beat Michigan, uh, the ACC just won't have a player in it because one thing that. At the end of the day, the committee will know is that what's going to move the needle and what's going to bring in the money. And UNC at the football program is not going to bring in the money. If you can find a reason to keep them out, they will. Like I agree. But also you have to remember that the committee does value conference champions over somebody, a team that's been sitting out the past couple of weeks that couldn't get in their championship. So, I I believe UNC has more of a shot than a lot of people want to believe, but I do believe if they do beat North Carolina at all, it's going to determine, excuse me, if UNC beats Clemson, it's going to determine how bad they beat them and what what happens in the Stanford game. Because you you have to remember that Stanford has already beaten USC once, so we might as well go ahead and talk about that since we're leading into that. Stanford has beaten USC once already. And this was under oh, this was when Steve Sarkeesian was on the sideline, yeah. and that's that that's going to be a big something big and something that a lot of people aren't talking about that because this USC team is totally different with uh, Clay Helton at, uh, at the head taking over as head coach than with Steve Sarkeesian. There were it seems to be with Sarkeesian it was more of a, a lax atmosphere and the players were kind of doing whatever they wanted to do with Helton. It seems to be that they're a little bit more disciplined on the field and they're making more plays and playing for each other. Um, I just don't think if Stanford beats USC again, that the committee is really going to think a lot about that. They're not going to place that much weight into that. And I really wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't be mad if a one-loss Clemson team, even if they lose in the conference champion, gets still gets in. I wouldn't be mad at that because Clemson. Well, look, but then they won't be a conference champion. But they made it to their conference championship. That's the difference between okay. Ohio State and Clemson, and say Michigan State and Iowa and Stanford. Well, but I look at I look at this Clemson team. I will just backtrack a little bit. Clemson has not played well in the last four weeks. Yeah, I agree. So. That that team has been on the downslide, and if they were to lose, that just reaffirms like the committee's like suspicious that yeah they're number one, but they're they're number one because they're undefeated, and 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 for for that alone because they were so dominant the first six weeks of the season, you got to look at what they're what they've done for me lately. They've been very Ohio Stateish the last four games as far as they just squeak by, they make enough plays, they had. The worst time against South Carolina last week, a team that pretty much, of course, they, you know, a team with everything to play for and a team with nothing to play for. That's a very dangerous combination. And and to add on that to be rivalry week, but you can't go out there and lay an egg against a, a team like South Carolina. You can't do it. I agree. Why, 
Go ahead, Brian. So my, you know, I was going to say, I, I, I'll make a plug just for Stanford. And I think what we have to look at is, is conferences as well. I think in that committee room, they're going to look at conferences. And so going back to this Pac-12 championship game, I think a lot of people have argued this year that the Pac-12 is now maybe one of the best conferences. I still personally believe that the SEC slightly has that edge. But the Pac-12 is a pretty deep conference. You get down to the middle of the conference, you got the Arizonas, the Washingtons, the Arizona States, who are very, very good ball clubs, even Cal, Utah. So I think the winner of this conference, even though Stanford would have two losses, I think they're going to have a lot of respect in that committee room. And, you know, getting back to USC for a second, I, I agree with Darrington. It is a completely different football team. I mean, early in the season, they were all about Steve Sarkeesian's spread principles that he had employed over at, at, at Washington. They were spreading the ball around. They really weren't uh, committing to the run as much as they should. It was embarrassing that they didn't commit to the run against Washington in that Thursday night game that they lost earlier this season. But as soon as Clay Helton took over, he went back to the trenches. He's a former offensive line coach. He said, let's get back to doing what we do best. They've got the best offensive lineman in the conference, arguably, and they start maybe besides Stanford. They started pounding the ball. They're running a lot of power. They're basically playing a lot of Stanford football. So this is going to be a smash mouth game. It's not going to be 40 or 50 passes by either team. It's going to be a lot of running. Christian McCaffrey, who who can win the game in the trenches is going to win this game. And I think I'm telling you, it may be off the wall, but if Stanford wins this game, I see a two-loss Stanford get into the playoff if if Clemson were to lose. I, I really do. Yeah. Well, I as far as the game uh, between Stanford and USC, USC definitely has is on the rise there. They've gotten back to a more pro-style offense. I do agree with yeah. that. Uh, and you have to think, this USC, USC team has all the talent in the world they have they may have some of the most talent in the country when it comes like pure prospect nfl prospects so you got Aguilar who can dominate in the special teams can stanford do well in the special teams game and can on the opposite on the flip side can usc make sure they don't kick the ball to christian mccaffrey you know what i mean <laughs> you can't give them a, a ton of open space because this has been the most all-purpose you know he has the most all-purpose yards of the season and is about to break the record for all-purpose yards in a season this week yeah with i believe 149 yards so he's a baller he, yeah he's, he's an absolute baller he does everything he looks like a slot receiver playing running back <laughs> but but the kid goes out there and he gets results and he's probably the best athlete on the field most complete. so but with that said i have a i have an inclination that USC is going to come out there and play their best ball of the season. The the type of ball that had a lot of analysts thinking that this would be USC's year to get to the playoffs. Yeah, um, um and I, I like the fact that uh, just to correct you real quick, Anton Nelson Aguilar is in the NFL right now with the Philadelphia oh, Eagles. Uh, what what am I thinking of, bro? <laughs> Juju, think of, uh, Juju, yeah. Juju Smith yeah. Schuster, yes. Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, he's 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 their playmaker uh, at wide receiver for USC, and I had I, I, and I like the fact that USC has gone back to their pro style principles under the the same type of principles they played under with uh, Pete Carroll when he was there. Um, they've always had talented quarterbacks, they've always had talented skill position players, and it's nice to see that they're actually using that wealth of talent that they have. The only question I have have with USC is. What can it? What will the defense be able to do? Will the defense be able to hold up to that um, that smash mouth attack that Stanford is going to bring? That's that's the main question. So we got the Big Ten. Now this is probably going to be the most smash mouth game of them all because you have Kirk France who can't they can't throw the ball and they play sound 
on um they play disciplined uh, on defense and they don't give up big plays. And then you have Michigan State where I'm not sure what to think of Michigan State. They're kind of Jekyll and Hyde this season. They play they play well enough to to win and then sometimes like against Ohio State, they played like one of the best teams in the nation. And I'm I just want to know what team is going to show up because you know what Iowa team is going to show up. It's going to be a consistent team. They're going to tackle. They're going to be in the right spots. They're not going to give you give up these big plays. And I'm I'm anticipating the matchup between um what is it? Uh, Desmond King and Aaron Burbridge because that's Connor Cook's number one wide receiver and. Desmond King is one of the has played as one of the best cornerbacks in the nation. He, he's tied or probably tied or second uh, in the nation for interceptions. I, I agree with you. I, th- I think I think you're you're getting to exactly what my thought on this game is. And to me, the difference in the both teams are very similar in their principles, the way they try to be balanced on offense, discipline on defense. But I think what it comes down to, I trust Michigan State's defensive line much more because I think they're more athletes and more NFL prospects on that D line. And I also trust Connor Cook way more than CJ. But I mean, Connor Cook is an NFL caliber quarterback. And as much as there are some games where he disappears and doesn't really play well in the big games, the kid makes plays against uh, not Ohio State, but against Michigan. He made plays against Penn State. They picked him apart last week. I think that he'll be able to do that against uh, Iowa. And Iowa has no playmakers on the outside. And like I said, I don't see CJ Beathard as a championship caliber quarterback. I actually think this game is going to get ugly. I, don't, I mean, it's not going to be a blowout, but I don't see I don't see this game being within two or three scores because Iowa I'm still not convinced on. They haven't played anybody this year to me. The best team they played is Northwestern, and I don't have a lot of respect for Northwestern to be honest with you. So, I don't have much I don't have much confidence in Iowa keeping this one close. So yeah, man, uh, I think that's what Iowa has been thriving off of all season. I'm sorry, go ahead, Anton. No, 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 go ahead. Like, no, that's all I had to say. Well, uh, you know. <laughs> You know, uh, as, as a Drake alum, I've watched a lot of Iowa this season. And I can tell you the the big thing in this game is going to be whether C.J. Beathard will go out there and try to make a play, a force a play. He's he's definitely each game. He's had three or four plays where he's forced plays. He's been bailed out by the defense multiple times this season. Uh, so when when they're going against someone like, you know, when you got Dan Tony's defense, and one thing that he does, he wins every big game. You know, you can say that, yeah, they have that slip up in Nebraska where they kind of like look over Nebraska. But when they have to play for some meaning, they that his squads always show up. You know they're going to be disciplined. You know they're not going to mistake make mistakes in a big game. So when Iowa, who has been – who's outkicked his coverage by far this year, you know, <laughs> yeah. You know, so you're gonna you're gonna get to a point where you're gonna think that, hey man, we they they they've already won the season. I think this year, mm-hmm. no one in Iowa really believes that they're gonna be able to beat Michigan State with Connor Cook coming back. Absolutely not. But you know what? That's a, that's another question. Like, is Connor Cook a hundred percent healthy? Because he 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 still was kind of shaky. Against uh, Penn State, and a one good hit on that shoulder, as Tony Romo proved in the NFL, and you're out again. And that's the thing: will can the backup quarterbacks for Michigan State do it twice in a row if Connor Cook isn't able to uh, 
to to play. And you said that Mike D'Antoni has these boys ready to to play, Anton. Well, what happened in the um what what is it the the game against Ohio State last year? In the game against Ohio State last year, yeah, last season, yeah. two thousand fourteen, they lost. Why are we talking about old? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, you th- you saying that, that he always has them ready to play in these big games. They lost hey, last man, year. Hey, now hey, we're hey, game four. He was out, man, man. You know what I mean? That that Ohio State team is flooded with NFL talent. You know, and he he, but this year he came back and he ran the ball forty six times on that Ohio State team. He adjusted. You don't have to do a lot of adjusting. You don't have to do a lot of adjusting for Iowa because you know what you're gonna get from Iowa. Yes, that's one hundred percent. But you know what? Everybody's knowing what they were going to get from Iowa, and Iowa has gone out and dominated teams. I mean, you can tell by the scoreboard. They like for them to be as vanilla as they are offensively. I mean, they go out and beat teams, and it's based off of their defense. What team? What team has been that as good as Michigan State? You answer me that. And what team have they okay. beat this year that's as good as Michigan State? None. Okay. But it doesn't mean they can't beat Michigan State because Michigan State isn't isn't that dynamic on offense. And their defense is pretty Jekyll and high. Well, again, again, CJ Beathard can use his legs. He can he can definitely use his legs, and hopefully he tries to do that and and so he they don't have so much pressure on him when he does drop back. And then that, that D-line can't just, like, pin his heels back and get after him on third down. But I just know what's coming, man. I see the tornado <laughs> coming through Iowa City, man, and they're, they're not going to like it. You know what? I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for Iowa just just for the – just the, a big F you to the committee because they can't keep them out. Like, if Iowa goes undefeated, you can't keep keep them out. No matter how much you want to keep them out, you cannot keep them out of the playoffs. But I the agree. thing is, you don't want to kick Iowa out, dog, because Iowa travels. Iowa has a loyal fan base. And Iowa is a state that, like, 60% of, their, 60% of their graduates leave the state of Iowa. So they have a, they have a nationwide following. There's an Iowa bar in more places than you think. I am yet to see one, but when when there's when one in West Palm, next time next time I'm in West Palm, right. you can show me. All right, all right. Did I miss anything, y'all? Uh, anything <laughs> we, we want to go over before uh, we close up? We finish out. Anything that you want to leave? They, well, Brian? one one we can quickly go down the line and make our calls. We never did that. Oh, you make our calls for the championship weekend. Yeah. What's your calls? All right, um, I got – okay. I got – see, I want to go with my heart, and then I want to go with, with my brain. <laughs> so if I'm if I'm just going to use my brain, I'm going with Clemson, um, USC, Houston, Bama, and uh, the, uh, Michigan State. Who you got, Brian? I'm gonna go with um I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Houston. I'm gonna go with uh Stanford. I love David Shaw. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with UNC. I think we got some chaos left. It's never gonna go exactly how it's supposed to go, right? I mean, every every year we get to this point, we never know what's gonna happen. I think that's the game that throws some turmoil into the committee 
room. I'm going Michigan State. Y'all know what I think about that. And I, 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 I just can't do it. I can't pick against them, boys. So I think the orange and blue is going to shock the world. <laughs> so I'm, going, I'm going Florida and upset. We're going Florida and upset. Whoa. Hey, that, if Florida wins, that would put the committee, and that yeah. would really throw the committee for a loop. Because now they're like, hold on, we have to put Ohio State in? We, we have to, yeah. To we put Ohio to. State in. We have to. Yep. And, uh, you know, oh, imagine how mad Michigan State fans would be if if oh, they lose oh to Iowa God. and Ohio State gets in. Oh my God! Oh my God! <laughs> they it, it would be pandemonium, man. Like there might be an invasion of you know, of Ohio from Michigan. It'd, it'd be bad. Uh, well, well, my picks are pretty uh pretty simple here. I think we're gonna go three for three with Houston. I think they're just gonna score too many points. I'm calling USC and UNC in their respective title games, because I think that I want to see chaos, but I also think that they're, they're playing a good ball against people that can be beaten. Uh, and then um, in, uh, in the big 10 championship, I'm going with Michigan state to cover and uh, in the SEC championship. Uh, roll time. <laughs> you, know what? you know what? You know, my heart wants to see pure chaos. I would love to see UNC win. I would love to see Florida win. I would love to see what well, it doesn't matter between Michigan State and Iowa. Either one, either one of them that wins gets in. But you know, I would love to see UNC and uh and Florida win because that will create so much. You actually and USC because then they can fall back on Stanford. Stanford, dude, it would yeah. it would go it would be insane. It would be insane. as but much. I think, but if, but if all that happens, I think I think that's the that would be the scenario that UNC gets in, or they yeah, bump. Yeah, Clemson. UNC. Yeah, that would. Yeah. yeah, all three have to lose for UNC to to sneak in there. Yeah, uh, but um, well, I appreciate everybody that uh, joined in live. You know. If, for those of you that listen in uh, via the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, we have a uh, live chat that goes on while we're recording here. So you can ask questions and, you know, we will answer your questions in the chat just so, uh, you know, if we don't cover something or you miss something that we went over earlier in the show. As always, you can find us at Random Discourse on SoundCloud. I'm not sure if you guys noticed I changed up the uh, logo just a little, just a smidget. Um, I think it's a little cleaner, but uh, classic. You, yeah, you can find Anton at please say please the say D. D. Uh, Brian is the CFB guru at on Twitter, but he doesn't tweet ever. I, I'm, I'm trying to tweet a little bit more. I've done it a couple <laughs> times the past week. I actually, you know what? I actually tweeted at Kirk Herbstreit a couple weeks ago because he was disrespecting the Gators, man. <laughs> what was he wrong? <laughs> But the, yeah, nah, a he couple, went wrong. He a went couple, wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a couple weeks ago, and then like he like picked Florida the last week against Florida State. So yeah, he's kind of yeah. up and down on the game. Yeah, he is. But um, I appreciate everybody for listening and uh, tuning in and following and sticking with us. Uh, we're trying to get better for y'all, uh, not for myself, but for y'all the listeners. So uh, appreciate it, and we're out. Thank you.